beginning at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, we read as follows. They were continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Every soul and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all the believers were of the same mind and were having all things in common, even selling possessions and goods and dividing them to all according to anyone's needs. And continuing steadfastly each day with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their assembly each Over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at our values as a congregation. And um, today we're going to look at the first of our three values. Next week we'll look at the second of those three values. And then the week following we'll be looking at the last of those three values. But before we begin discussing our values as a congregation, I think it's important that we, that we look at and understand Um, when we speak of a person having values or a family having values or a church having values, please note we're not talking about ideals. We're not talking about platitudes and we're not talking about intentions. Values go beyond ideals. They go beyond platitudes. They go beyond intentions because values are realities. They are principles. Values are what make you, you. Your family's values are what make your family, your fam family. Values are kind of like DNA. You know the... Uh, uh, Deoxyribonucleic acid, I believe, is what DNA stands for. And the DNA is, it's, it's uh, pictured here in the, the double helix down at the bottom of the screen. And the double helix is uh, the, the chromosome. Hey, at least, you know, me not being a scientist, but instead more of a theologian. One of the things that impresses me about DNA is that DNA is it is information. It's like, it's, it's, it's programming. In my mind, I think of it as words that are bound together, that are the essentials, the essence of a person. It's what makes you, you, and what makes me, me. It is the essence, the makeup, or the information. They are what make us different from others. Not necessarily better than others. Some have pretty poor values. Others have pretty strong values. But our values make us who we are. They're not just, they're not rules on a page. They're not goals. They're not things that we hope to ascribe to. They come out of really who we are because values are 
act upon. They are the essentials of who we are. And our values are substantiated by our actions. That's, that's where things get kind of tricky. Because we can say that we value certain things and yet not act accordingly. And what that tells us is we either don't value it or we are finding that we're starting to value it very poorly. You know... How does that really affect us? How does that affect our behaviors? How does that affect our actions? Values and actions go together much like faith and works in the New Testament. James tells us there's no such thing as faith without works. It's dead. It's non-existent. It has no life. It's merely a corpse. It doesn't have any spirit to it. The spirit is gone in a corpse when works leave faith. Paul tells us that we're saved not by works, but we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of our doing, it's God's gift to us. But then he says, but we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece created in Christ in order to do good works. And so Paul he proves that our faith is actually substantiated by our works. How do we know a Christian when we meet one? We see his life. How do you know an apple tree when you see one? You see apples rotting all over the ground underneath it. And hopefully then new apple trees will spring up. Our values and our actions work together. And if we look back upon our lives over the course of the last few years, perhaps we see how our values have changed. Some of our values have gone away. Perhaps we valued things that we shouldn't have valued. Perhaps we had good values and we have, we have um, compromised our principles and our realities have then changed. But those things that we value are those things that we really and truly... And that speaks to us as individual people, what are those things that we say we value, but in our actions we find we really don't value all that much? That speaks to us even as families. What do we say we value? And do we see the evidence of it in how we interact with one another and how we behave as a family? And that's over these next three weeks, beginning today. And I want to challenge us to be honest in our assessment of how much we really do value these things. 
Not so that we can change our values, but so that we can return to our values and strengthen our values. Because I believe that these values are what God has instilled in us. This is God's DNA that He has put into us. that our values are threefold. We value, firstly, re- relational community. Secondly, transformational discipleship, which we'll look at next week. And then, thirdly, personal mission, which we'll look then at the week following. But beginning with this first core value, this first strip of DNA that God has put within us, we say we value relational community. And what we mean by that is something specific. Community is kind of a a hot topic. Biblical. It's something very, even if you will, theological. Community, you know I like word parts. I like, I like the origin of words. I like the meaning of words. I think words, words are important in my mind because words convey ideas. They communicate something. And I consequences. You can look that up on your phone. Don't do it now, Lindsay. Ideas have consequences. A book that was written. But this word parts, a, a, a prefix and then a root. The root is obviously unity. The prefix is co. Mine's racing back to 10th grade English. means with, right? A co-worker is someone who works with you. A community is someone who is in unity with you. To be in community with someone, with your neighbors, to be co with. When we speak of relational community, we're talking about a sense of shared life, a life that is shared with others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great book, Life Together, and that phrase, life together, communicates what he understands to be the Christian life. God calls us out from our own lives, and he calls us into the lives of others. He has brought us together, and... God reaches into our lives, pulls us out of ourselves, out of our bubble, out of our, we call it a comfort zone, and he thrusts us into community with others. It's fascinating 
When you see the call of Jesus to the disciples throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus is walking into their lives, walking up to their tax booth, walking up to the bay and to their boat. Come. Some of them are related. Imagine some of the disciples, being good and faithful Jews, didn't like the fact that he called Matthew, also named Levi. He was a tax collector. How would you like it if an agent of the IRS showed up for church this morning? <laughs> we treat them sometimes unfairly. Sometimes. Not all the time, but... But Jesus calls these people from different livelihoods, from different neighborhoods. From calls them together to follow Him. He calls 12 of them to come and to share life with Him, but also to share life with one another. Other accounts in the New Testament are referred to as a fellowship. To be one with another. To be People who have been called into fellowship with one another. Folks who have been called into community with one another. And we as a church. Is what gets us beyond what we could call simply the handshake. You know what I mean by that. You show up at church on Sunday mornings, you shake a couple of hands. Maybe at some point in the service, you, the, the pastor steps up and says, all right, we're going to stop what we're doing. I want everybody to walk around and greet someone you haven't greeted yet. Somebody shake hands, and half the church is kind of just standing there wondering, is anybody going to come to me? Others are just kind of walking around, normally shaking the hands of people they shake every single week. And when church is over, we shake a couple more hands, and we head on and go about our lives following Sunday. just, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? But people ask us that question. We don't answer it. You know, somebody it's, if, if you want to puzzle your waiter or waitress today when you go out for lunch or tomorrow or whatever, or if you want to puzzle your uh, cashier at Kroger or Publix or Walmart or wherever you happen to be grabbing stuff, when they ask you, how are you, answer them. It's, it's, it creates some really awkward conversations sometimes that, uh, Oh, okay. If you say, oh, I'm doing well, how are you? Normally, they're, they're kind of stunned. They're not used to that. They, they don't know what's up. 
God wants us to be beyond just the, 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 the casual, nonchalant interactions that we experience on a daily basis with countless thousands of other people. Think about this past week. All of the people that you came across, whether it was, whether it was at a McDonald's checkout line or, or counter, whether it was in Target, on the playground, at school, Think of all of the, you probably came across thousands of people. Not just people that you exchanged, you know, words and handshakes with, but all the people that you're around this week. How many of them can you honestly say you live in community with? We speak of this area as our community. Some of you have driven from Sandy, uh, Sandy Springs, some of you driven from Yorkville, and we speak of our communities because we got folks coming from all over, but how many people do we actually live in genuine relational community with? It's few if we recognize that relational community means life spent with others. But that's what God is doing among his people. That's what he was doing in the book of Acts. We're going to look at some of the specifics of that in just a moment. But that's what God is doing throughout Paul's letters to the New Testament church, throughout John's letters, throughout Jude and Peter. We see that God is working among his people, putting together assemblies, calling people out of their lives and into the lives of others. And you have this interaction that's at play. And Paul and others are, are constantly calling their hearers to live in unity with one another, to be of one mind, to share even the mind of Christ, so that they, as a multiplicity of individuals, can live together in harmony and in relationship because God likes that. God desires that. I'm never I'm never not fascinated when I look at the church in the book of Acts because what you see in the uh, that early New Testament church is it's beyond fascination it's it's pretty astounding and amazing and challenging um, but in looking at this early um, this early account of the church. I'm fascinated by the character and life of the New Testament church, of what you see going on. It, it, uh, it puts in perspective what Paul says to the Corinthians as he writes to them and talks about all the troubles and upheaval and all the chaos that seems to be going, uh, going on there just a few years after this account in Acts chapter 2. Um. But in Acts chapter 2, in, in these early chapters of the book of Acts, we find a church that has a particular character to it. And that character, kind of like values, is displayed in a specific life. We see the things that the early church values based upon the things that the book of Acts tells us they are doing. Their behavior substantiates 
those things that they value. We read here in in chapter 2, in those final verses of that chapter, we read of daily gatherings. They were getting together daily in the temple. What would that look like in a... uh, in a contemporary, postmodern metro Atlanta for a church to meet daily. Yeah, we're not going to have, you know, during lunch break, we're, we're going to get together just to spend some time together in prayer and fellowship. And then we'll go back to our, our busy days. They were meeting daily. Daily. Some of you don't see your spouses daily. Or, you know, the person that sits in front of you or behind you to your right or left in church. They were meeting daily. The book tells us that they were sharing meals. It speaks of daily gatherings. It speaks of shared meals. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. In fact, what is it? How does it word it? Um... Earlier in the, in the text, it says, they continued steadfastly, which is an, a, a fascinating uh, phrase. It, it's relentlessly, without relent. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Don't tell me doctrine is not important. In fellowship, sharing life, Koinonia is the, uh, the Greek word there. It's a life spent together in unity. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those are those things that they valued. Shared meals. Thank you. Of a dinner table when people get together. Normally there's laughter. Sometimes there's crying. There's so much laughter. The telling of jokes. Picking on one another. Normally when we get together at a table, we get together with people that, um, that we're wanting to share some time with. Share, share some words with. They had open homes. Their life was characterized by daily gatherings, shared meals, and open homes. They met from house to house. That's in addition to the daily gatherings in the temple. They were spending time in each other's homes. Um, Tonight, for our small group, we're going to be meeting here. here because the dozens of other times we've had small groups they've always met in homes because that's important some of you it offers a little bit of incentive to alright I gotta get the house clean I, when Lindsay and I were hosting a small group um, it was. It always produces a little bit of stress, you know, because you're like, oh, I've got to run the vacuum and everything. But afterwards, it's always like, oh, a little bit cleaner. It's, it's nice. Um, 
But when we meet in one another's homes, we're able to kind of drop the facade a little bit. Normally folks will show up a little bit more casually. Please, nobody dress up and be all fancy tonight. It's, it's not a, another church service or anything. Come, come as you are. Um, but it, it's, you'll see David in shorts at his home. Which is, uh, yeah. It, it, if you show up on Friday mornings for prayer, you might also see David in shorts, right, Rick? Um, but normally, we, we, we're a little bit more ourselves, a little bit more without, without, uh, without the makeup, so to speak. But they were meeting in one another's homes. They had open homes to each other. They also had what I'm calling stewarded belongings. The reason why I say that is because it it specifically mentions they had possessions because they were selling their possessions. It mentioned they had goods. Recognize what was that these belongings, these things that they could call mine, were indeed blessings and gifts from God that had been stewarded to them. They recognized that what they had was God's blessing to them. And so they, they, they didn't have a problem with selling, trading, with sharing what they had with one another as others had need. What a, what a fascinating and, and really difficult We live in a society that is that everything is about grabbing and getting and having and possessing. In fact, um, I'll probably mention it again as, as we get nearer to Thanksgiving, but uh, you know, Thanksgiving is the most overlooked holiday on the calendar. We over it, overlook it probably more than Columbus Day sometimes. And, and we know that, I know that, because Thanksgiving at 2 o'clock during the football game, you start... disgustedly reminded just a few years ago of how bad it is when, uh, when uh, um, on a Thanksgiving afternoon during a football game, and I like me some football, a commercial came on and said, now that you've done all the giving, it's time for the getting. And then they started announcing their opening hours and that sort of thing, and I thought, Yikes. Not so. In such community with one another that they lived out what we call self-giving, other-oriented love. It is the hallmark of all Christian theology. It is the center and base of all that we believe, that God is self-giving, other-oriented, we can throw in there the adjective, holy love. His faithful pursuit, His constant and abiding love, His love that is self-giving, His love that is other-oriented. And we see that evidence in the life of the early church. They, they didn't even want to hang on to what they could call theirs if someone else was in need. 
They didn't want to hang on to their possessions, their comfort. They didn't want to hang on to any of it. You find them giving of their daily schedules, giving of their comforts and conveniences, even giving of the things that they possess. Because God had called them into community with one another. And the fascinating thing on top of that is that the text ends with a characteristic of what they had. They continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness as enjoying the favor of all the people. The people around them were looking at them probably initially thinking, what is wrong with these people? And if we are faithfully living out the character of God, we will be surrounded by people who look at us perplexed and say, what is wrong with that guy? That was what characterized the church beyond the book of Acts. Living in the Roman Empire, they were the people who would go out to the street weathering babies that had been and the Roman pagan said what is wrong with these people they want the trash they want the castaways they want what's been discarded by our civilized society but the book tells us that they enjoyed the favor of all the people Though they lived differently, their community couldn't get away from the fact that they were substantiated that are part of the heart of God. And in response, we read, And the Lord was adding to the church daily, who are being saved. He called them out and had assembled them. They were living in community with one another. And they were living with one another. And God's blessing was daily just being heaped upon them. He was adding to their assembly daily. We see a life lived like this as being wasteful. We see time spent cleaning a house who's not even, you know, within five miles of here but lives over in Smyrna. We see that sometimes as Oh man, you know, what, what's going to come of that? We see time spent cleaning up a stretch of mile out here on, on due west as, you know, just time where I guess we're kind of fellowshipping together. At least we're having a good time and talking. But, you know, what's going to come of us picking up litter? Perhaps nothing. 
they were selling their possessions. They were meeting from home to home. They were getting together every day in the temple among their busy schedules. They were sharing meals with one another and God was looking upon it and he was smiling. And he said, you're going to live that kind of love. You're going to live in that type of community. I'm going to bring more, send more. And he was adding daily to their gatherings. Wouldn't it... Uh, open our home and you know we're going to have a couple of families over um, this Friday night and suddenly four or five families are there and we think well hey yeah let's do that again next week and then suddenly six six or seven families are there you know yeah the food would get awfully expensive and and the stress level would certainly be rising but unbelievable to see the blessing of God as we give of ourselves, as we surrender ourselves, as we in relational community, as we see it valued in the scripture and as we long for it to be valued in us and among us, we see a life that is not lived on ideal It's not lived on platitude. It's not lived on intentions or hopes or dreams. It is lived in the reality of our doing. So as you reflect upon what God would have you do. And as I reflect upon what God would have me do, I want us together to look at the back of the communication cards that we've been handed. You're not the only one that's handed these. I was handed one as well. Thank you, Jim. and you'll find the same responses. And please drop off your communication card at the back of the sanctuary after we close. But I want you to pray with me this morning. To pray for God's leadership, to pray for His will, for us as a congregation, and to pray for His blessing. Those things that He sees light in. Together I want to pray for His will and His blessing on us as a congregation as He's called us out of our lives and into the lives of one another. We want to seek Him and His goodness to us. Something to act upon. I wonder if you would consider joining us tonight for our Sunday evening small group that will be meeting just for these the four weeks of this month. Um, if so, as Bill mentioned, please see me just for a second after the service is over. I just want to give you a handout. The books are delayed coming in. 
So I've got a handout to, to, to get you to read. We'll meet here at 630. Uh, if you want to be a part but aren't able to make it each, each time, just let me know. Uh, we've, got, we've already started up a Facebook group so that we can discuss some things on there throughout the weeks. Um, and so if you want to be a part but you're not sure if you can do it every week, that's fine. That's fine. Get, get the handout. I'll add you to the Facebook group and you can participate uh, via technology even, even if you can't make it for a week. And then something to become together. I wonder if you will resolve with me to become more other-oriented. Not just, again, as an ideal or an intention or a, a platitude or something that we'd like to hope to maybe someday be, but in my actions, Lord, make me more other-oriented. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, we come in humility. We come in quiet. We come with a sober of that life to which you have called us as a congregation as families as people Lord we pray for your blessing upon our church we pray that you would lead us and guide us we pray for those in leadership positions those serving upon our church health team, those serving our board. Lord, we pray for your gentle but clear leadership for us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to faithfully follow you as you lead. We pray that along the way that you would look upon us as you look upon your church throughout time with your blessing and with your faithfulness and your provision. Lord, we would love to be a church like what we read here in Acts chapter 2 of a church that built up by you daily. Not by our pulling strings, not by our gimmicks, not by our doing our very best, but Lord, as we faithfully serve you, Lord, we pray that you would bless us, that you would reach others through us. Lord, we pray that you would enable us your image more clearly, more profoundly. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live lives of self-givingness. Help us to live for your sake, for the sake of one another, and for the sake of the world. And help us to live that way in our actions, in our behaviors, in our interactions in the way we live our lives. We look to you as our hope and our peace. And we love you. Amen.